Well, welcome back to Potter's Pockets or Passages. It's going to be called number five. And um, we're back with Mr. Wesley Chance and Miss Sarah Miller. Welcome back, you two. Hi. Hey, good to be back. And so this time we covered, uh, we actually got through the reading, though I know Wes and I were a little bit behind as of even this morning, which was nice. <laughs> and uh, so luckily our Hermione, like Sarah Miller, uh, you know, reviewed our notes and made sure that we got through. <laughs> um, and so we read 11 Quidditch, 12 The Mirror of Erised, uh, and 13 Nicholas Flamel. And um, so we've seen a lot of things. We've seen our first two Quidditch matches, our first set of uh, wizard chess, a, a nice Christmas <laughs> meal with a bunch of wine being drunk by Professor McGonagall and Hagrid. Um, <laughs> we've, uh, we've found Nicholas Flamel in a place we most did not expect to. We've seen an invisibility cloak. We've seen something like a lotus eater sort of uh, drug addiction by old Harry. We've also seen him talk to Dumbledore uh, about that and get set straight as it were. And, and uh, we've also been to the restricted section of the, the library because the moment you get an invisibility cloak, the first place you want to go to is the library. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, He's very goal oriented. That young boy until that young Harry, until he got into looking into mirrors, the wrong mirrors that he said um, in, in backwards language, that they show that it shows not your face but your heart's desire, mm -hmm. and so so well y'all y'all too. What did you all think about these uh, these two chapter or these three chapters? These uh, some of these themes, some of these games we've seen. Uh, I was particularly taken with wizard chess, by, chess by the way, and, and the fact that Percy was not very good at it, just like her. <laughs> and Hermione's also not very good at it either. Which Harry and Ron said right. was, you know, said was very good for her. Good for her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's um, she's good at most things, but she's not good at everything. And I and I took that to be sort of the gist of that statement there. Like I I took it to be not just a a way to bring her down to earth on their part, like out of spite or something, but like it's actually the case that you need to have some things that you're not good at and like to be aware of those things um, that that is actually good for you. Uh, and, and I just, I feel the same way when I, you know, feel like uh, playing some chess or whatever I do. So usually out of a sense of just like, okay, I need to, I need to get my head handed to me here and, and get some humility. Um, like that's a good reason to play games when you're, when you pre precisely cause you're not good at them. I like, I like that she still plays. That's interesting, too, because that sort of connects to our favorite character, Neville, who yeah. plays some moments of both bravery and incompetence and a lack of self-definition. Right? <laughs> Malfoy uses him as practice as a punching bag, a, 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 a cursing bag, and <laughs> the leg, the leg uh, putting together curse, effectively input, making him impotent. Loca mortor mortis which i suppose is supposed to mean something like death of motion so i don't know how mm -hmm. that actually is might have to be uh you know mort locomotorus or something like that but that's quibbling that's quirreling <laughs> um, <laughs> but that leads to neville sharing that he does not think he's brave enough to be in gryffindor which leads to him receiving hermione's 
uh, advice, which is go to McGonagall, not going to happen. And uh, Ron's advice, which is stand up to him, which mm. ends up working out very well for both Ron and Neville because then during the Quidditch match, even though they're supposed to be watching uh, Harry do the spectacular thing, they, they too have their spectacular thing they need to face. Just as Harry is facing a match where Snape, who might try to kill him, though Dumbledore is there to mitigate that fact, though he has mm. chosen to play this game, though it might put him in mortal peril, so does Ron decide that Malfoy has finally cut, caused too many jokes, too many jokes about him not having enough money. And so he gives him a black eye, he fights him, and Neville fights both Crab and Goyle, who are both large. <laughs> not only does Neville's sort of incompetence give him the chance to receive the advice necessary to act in the way, in a very brave way, in a, in a stadium fighting for what's his, and this is sort of a strange thing for a teacher to be saying, like supporting this fight, but it seems like a, a noble and a fair fight, even an unfair fight on the side of the people who pick it. But Ron also has a chance to take his own advice, which I think is equally important. He gave Neville the advice in the way that kids often do, and even just humans, where we project what we should do onto others. Like, say, we need to study very hard, and we're telling our friends, you should really study very hard, you know? It's very important for you mm -hmm. to study. And like, yeah, should I be telling you that on instant message right now, or should maybe I be applying that to my own life? And... Uh, <laughs> And so, and so again, I, th I, I just think you were talking about the necessary or the important component of a game showing your own incompetence. But it's yeah. And it's, but it's precisely because of Neville's competent, incompetence that Ron and he get to prove their Gryffindor braveriness and Hermione and Ron uh, learn the curse that, that Malfoy had used on Neville in order to attempt to use it on Snape, should he attempt to curse their friend Harry? So his evil deeds, this Draco has a have a uh, they've had a good effect. They've end up ended up helping the the brave and trepid Gryffindors. Um, hmm. The uh... the 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 other thing that Neville helps with here is that he gives them the um, the card from the Chocolate Frog which uh, yeah. solves the theory of Flamel, right? That's just these little tidbits, you know, Neville is, Neville's key. Neville's absolutely key in this story. Generously I thought, I'm, by... I thought of that. Sorry. Oh no. Yeah. Go on, Sarah. No, no, I, I, sorry. Um, I just, I thought of something that you said in a previous conversation, Wes, about um, characters whose um, failures um, or weaknesses. I think he was. I think it was in reference to um, something Draco did. Oh yeah. Or um, uh, creating a circumstance for the hero to, you know, move forward. Maybe maybe it was Alex. I know it certainly wasn't me who said it. Um, but um, yeah. When he when when he gives them the card, it's like so. It's such like a a nonchalant without thought thing. Like Neville doesn't know that he's giving them this key piece of information. <laughs> neither neither does Hagrid know that he's giving them keep though maybe Hagrid does know that he's giving key pieces of information he just can't control himself but I think like Neville's Neville's role here is to be somebody who's like whose weakness doesn't equal cowardice um even though he thinks in his mind I'm not brave enough to be in Gryffindor um like it's because he's mis misidentified inability with um like uh 
with cowardice, like his his weakness to stand up to Malfoy or perhaps his weakness at potions or all of the other subjects for that matter. He's he like it's the same thing, like the folly of of considering um, strength to be bravery. They're not the same thing Um, or skill skill to be bravery. I mean, like, look at how Harry wins the. Uh, the first Quidditch match, it's like kind of by luck, not by mm-hmm. skill. Um, but, but, um, yeah, I, I think, I think that that's sort of what Neville's role is at the moment is, is to be like kind of a, um, foil is the wrong word, but, um, the, the counterbalance mm-hmm. to Harry in a lot of ways, like the opportunity for Harry, Neville wouldn't have been able to give them the card if, Harry hadn't found it somewhere within him, um, mm. like his own heart, to give him a chocolate frog to make him feel better. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a, there's like it's like he's being rewarded with information for being a good, good dude, for being kind. Mm. Um, well, just so, I, so, I think is important. Just to add to that, a couple characters that are really filling out their roles now too, and maybe helping us to see the underlying structure of this story or myth are Fred and George. We're constantly now doing funny things like spearheading, like when they had snowballs that they bewitched to hit Quirrell on the back of the head, which they were being punished for. <laughs> and they also helped coordinate a snowball fight um, to, uh, to use the day during Christmas, which is a great use of time. But also they made Percy, they, they, they showed their sort of hermetic jokester character, their, the ability to, with jokes, to make all people equal, even though perfect Percy wanted to sit with the prefects, they said, you sit with family today. Mm-hmm. And so they're really doing their job, but also Draco. So something he illustrated to me by going after Neville is the sort of Slytherin idea to go after, to, to win at all costs means to attack your enemy at their weakest link. Mm-hmm. And so he must have identified like a predator, Neville to be the weakest link of Gryffindor. And so he also attacks Neville at where he's weakest by saying, you're no Gryffindor. You're not brave at all. Look at how weak and cowardly you are. And so mm. through him attempting to exploit Neville's weakness, he brings out the best in Neville as well as those around mm. Neville. So he actually ends up working against his own goal by attempting the most expedient solution to his problem um, or by attempting to simply t- take on the weakest um, and then be a bully. He actually brings out the strength of these these people because of the fairness of what he's attempting to do or just the injustice of it. Um, but he, he's helping these characters to become more who they are through his own and to, to knit together because of his uh, sort of negative qualities. Hmm. So yeah, just yeah. The, uh, the, the, in that way, he's like an opposite of the mirror of uh, Erised, right? Because it shows you what you want to hear most, and he shows you what you least want to deal with, which is very useful. That's interesting. So, what did so what did y'all make of the mirror of Erised showing up at the same time as the invisibility cloak, as uh, as Harry? For one, why why do you think he was given the invisibility cloak? I know that the explicit reason is that it had belonged to his father, but surely he would use it or something um, and Dumbledore seems to be, know well what's going on in his his castle because he does catch 
uh, Harry. And just to add to his the idea of him being sort of a divine or uh, or God the Father spirit, he says he can be invisible without a cloak, which is an incredible yeah. ability. Um, uh, <laughs> like I don't know that any other wizards that we know about ever in the 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 series can do that, but perhaps perhaps so. Um, but um, what what do you think that this this challenge is supposed to symbolize with with Harry this mirror where all of a sudden he has both the heartbreaking realization of something he will never have while also the exultant joy of seeing something he has never seen um, like joy in his parents eyes at seeing him with contrast from how the Dursleys treat him um, it made me think a lot about Odysseus and his journey and the Lotus Eaters uh, on his way back home. Hmm. Just, I, I wonder, I wonder if this, if any of this is, if this helps at all, but in, um, I was reading this work at St. John's called The Grail Legend, and one of the ideas in it, it was written partly by Carl Jung's wife, Emma Jung, and uh, Marie-Louise von Franz, that when the hero starts on the journey to get the grail, he becomes inflated by identifying with the goal of the quest. So rather than striving towards that, which he should strive towards in order to become a hero, he just pompously walks around acting like he is a hero, sort of like Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. And so I wondered mm-hmm. if the mirror of Vera said the sort of problem with it is that it shows you sort of like an Edenic state or a golden age or exactly what you would have if you could choose to have everything you have. But what it keeps you from doing is ever growing or developing the discipline or striving necessary to achieve such a state. You just either go mad or, or sit in front of it forever, like, like sitting in front of the sirens or sitting on some drug mm. that satisfies your every need. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the idea that Dumbledore presents is that the, in order to get I, I love the way he gets Harry to figure out what the mirror does by not telling him, by asking him a question. That's, I, I just thought like, again, I'll keep harping on it. Like Dumbledore is the ultimate teacher mm. here, but the happiest man on earth would be able to use the mirror of air said like a normal mirror. That is, he would look into it and see himself exactly as, as mm. he is. And um, it, it strikes me that like Harry looks, at the mirror and he sees something that he reminds Ron will never be the future yes. because um, all of his parents are dead or all of his family is, is dead. And cause Ron says, do you think it shows the future? <laughs> because he sees all this stuff accorded to him, you know, like he's head boy and he's captain of the Quidditch team, but they're also both like Ron is alone. Um, in the in the future and and harry is surrounded by people in the past and so like um i don't i don't know i think there's like there's um in all three of the chapters we read today there's like this increasingly powerful bond of community and 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 like community giving you this like strength and maybe motivation um uh, confidence to to be your best the best version of yourself um, like look at Neville even Harry feels braver on his first at his first Quidditch match when he looks up and he sees this 
this poster that everybody has contributed to making. What did it say on yours? Um, Because I think it was changed for the American one. It says Potter for president, but it can't say that in the English version. It says, I think it does say that actually. Um, I'd have to go. I mean, let me flip back. I'm uh, certainly what he, what he looks up and he sees. I remember I circled it. It says Potter for president Um, over the crowd. His heart skipped period he felt braver period that like he can face a lot of things with people at his side and in both cases ron looks and sees nobody around him and harry looks and sees people around him who could never be around him in the in the present or in the future for that matter because they're all dead and that might be like the to me like an important distinction between what you see in the mirror and what the happiest man on earth sees is, um, I don't know. I, th- I think the mirror of air said for the, anybody, but the happiest man is going to isolate them from the things, um, that would make them most tied to other people and therefore happiest. Um, I don't know if I'm bringing my, my Catholicity into this. No, but, no, that's, that's, that's uh, good. It just makes me wonder for for you Wes I, I and maybe I'm encapsulating this wrong so maybe it's something else too entirely but it makes me wonder whether the mirror of ever said um, well two things one is that Ron's tragic flaw and why he's not the hero in this story he desires the glory of the hero rather than what Harry seems to desire which is that which the hero brings about so whereas Harry uh, Ron, but but that also seems to be connected to the fact that Ron's family is alive. So I wonder if there's a grass is always greener aspect too, because he says, "Why would you want to see my family? You can see them at any time." But Harry can't ever see his family um, because they're gone. They're gone now. And so I wonder if that illustrates an important difference between them that Ron sees himself covered in glory, whereas uh, Harry sees himself nested in a community. Or whether that's just sort of a um, neither has had that experience and that is what they therefore desire. But I also kind of wondered, just to throw this in there, and maybe this is sort of Catholic or Jungian too, whether the images in the mirror are demons or the demons within you that you see manifest, that these are the thoughts that would bring you to utter isolation because you would prefer to spend time with them than with people. Um. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's 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 a really open. I mean, yeah, it's like a really open question, like how magic works. As I've, I think, like been trying to look at as we read the. We haven't heard anything about demons or something like that. We've heard about dark magic, hmm. like we we know that there's such a thing as dark magic. We know that magic is used to um to enchant objects, and then those objects are magical, right? Like like broomsticks. Um, and, and I think that's what the mirror must be like as well. It's, um, it seems to be a, a potent magical object. Um, but, but the, the, the quality of magic having a kind of personality, like a demon or something like that, the closest thing I think we've seen to that is like the ghosts who, who do sort of like maneuver around and like do things, but, um, aren't explicitly like linked to magic per se. So, so I'm, I'm not sure I think about that. Really I want to I ask you a question about dark magic 
connection with Slytherin then. <clears throat> because the, the, the mirror of error said what it seems to do is take out the middle step of trying to strive towards that which you desire. Of course, with some things you desire, you can just never have them because they're already gone, like Harry's, like Harry's family. But you, <clears throat> you just stare at it. You, it's like taking a drug. You get the dopaminergic or the serotonergic sort of effect on your brain, but you didn't do any activity that would produce it. And so in an iterated pattern, you're just going to keep going to the drug and getting more and more of it rather than doing things that would produce that effect and potentially also be salubrious. But so oh, interesting. we also get the magical object of the sorcerer's stone, the, uh, the philosopher's stone, which we're told can do two things, which make me wonder whether it's sort of a piece of dark magic. So Nicholas Flamel helped to make it. He wasn't a shyster like everybody else he he loves opera like i was saying in text beforehand because the creation of a philosopher's or sorcerer's stone is called an opus magnus or a magnum opus um the great work and uh the two things it can do is turn base matter into gold and uh give you eternal life and i was wondering about that in connection with dark magic and the mirror of Erised because it seems like being able to turn any metal into gold would make you infinitely wealthy and being uh, of infinite years, sort of like the idea in Westworld or al altered carbon, what would be the purpose of your existence at all? If you could mm -hmm. have, if you could bend the rules. Mm -hmm. so but then you can know. listen to as much opera as you want, of course. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. So, but what I wonder, wonder about the Slytherin, the idea of dark magic, or I think about the dark side of the force where you can just force, mm -hmm. uh, crush someone's throat rather than try and persuade them. It seems like a getting straight to the point, especially with the Avada Kedavra too, where you just kill somebody and remove them as a problem. The idea behind a dark magic or, or force is that you bend the rules of the game to your own personal advantage, but it hurts the game as a whole and will ultimately end up hurting you as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it also sets up like the whole dynamic of the, um, the hero, right? Like... You, you don't have as good of a story if you don't have a good villain to kind of go up against. And I think that's interesting, too, because we see like we see that there's some other stories that happen in this world, like Dumbledore defeating the dark wi wizard Grindelwald in 1945 is, is mentioned and discovering 12 uses of dragon's blood. So so we see like this story is happening within a world which is full of other stories. But for some reason, we're, we're focusing in on this one. And I think it has to do with, yeah, like like the power of um this like strange attraction that we see with like malfoy and harry right like heroes and villains are like bound together that seems like a huge theme in these books and more so as we go on Al are you so alex if i'm if i'm following you correctly are you so with this idea that the that the stone seems to bend like rules of say more of time or of mortality mm -hmm. right um or the, the mirror seems to, um, uh, like you said, get to the point. I mean, I don't know. I think one question about the mirror is like, what if you look in the mirror and you don't know what your heart desires? Does the, does the mirror then serve like a purpose of, of, of teaching you? I don't know. But like these, these magical objects, I, I guess the way that you formulated that, it made me wonder if, um, if those two objects, can be like misused obviously they could be misused right or they could become a source of great suffering or peril not just to yourself in seeking them or being attached to them but also 
like what you would do to another person because of your desire for this stone or because of the mirror like what what you might sacrifice because of what you see there so like um i guess um how does the cloak fit into that because the cloak the cloak um it seems like if if it doesn't totally always bend the rules unless harry keeps it on all the time right it bends the rules of appearance but he he says you know when he almost gets stuck or he almost gets caught after his first use of it on on christmas night he says like the cloak um you know it keeps him from being visible but it doesn't keep him from being uh solid so like it's it's like it um it's like a temporary bending of the rules because when he takes it off the rules go back to normal um he becomes visible and visible as a solid as opposed to in like he doesn't fundamentally alter nothing is fundamentally altered by wearing the invisibility cloak so I'm not sure that I would necessarily put all three of them in the same category, but, but, but the cloak seems to allow him access to things that the rules, be they the rules of matter or the rules of Hogwarts or the rules of nature that, that like he can, he can get around them, but not forever. Um, Unless again, like unless he wishes to absent himself from every other person and from like the world and like remain underneath this invisibility cloak forever, which it doesn't really seem like is something that he wants. So well, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something there. I have a few things to say about that. The the first of which, which I know you both know better than I do because you both taught, taught this book. And I know that Wes, you're starting teaching at Signum university tomorrow. And I'm looking forward to either joining you or hearing the recording about it. But of course, just as Harry Potter can go invisible by putting on an invisibility cloak that comes from a generation of the past, and we'll find out many generations past, so do, do uh, humble hobbits seem to become invisible when they wear the ring of power, uh, suggesting that potentially what makes something a piece of dark magic is one's intent and how one uses it. Though those seem to, with specific magic, it seems that some intent is, is contained within the use of the spell as it is, like Avada Kedavra. But, but also, just something interesting I thought about, well, the invisibility cloak is sort of based on the idea, we'll find out with the Deathly Hallows, that the smartest brother wears the invisibility cloak. He blends in. And something uh, Dr. Jordan B. Peterson says about humans like zebras is that, like fish in giant schools, and, and like Odysseus from the Odyssey with his ship in the very middle of all of them, is that people try to blend in in order not to stick out so that the predators will attack them. And so the idea behind an invisibility cloak or being invisible is it allows you um, to go through avenues that somebody who were visible would not be able to go through. Uh, You are able to be a liminal figure, sort of like Hagrid. He's like a ghost, but not perfectly like a ghost because he's still solid. But now he has increased access to places he would not otherwise have access to. And that's based on um, an object that was given to one of the three uh, sons of Kronos, which is the invisibility cap of Hades, which he, I think at one time, gave to Hermes, possibly one other time to, to Athena. But the idea being that death is invisible and comes through avenues you would never imagine. But so does the hero as well in this case, which also leads me to see Harry as sort of a role or a figure, because he, like Odysseus, is like nobody and invisible. He has no discernible physical features 
And so he's like literally a ghost or a, uh, a disembodied, though sort of embodied, or unrepresented, though embodied figure at that moment, as if anybody, even a Neville, can be a hero, is um, sort of what I was thinking about with the invisibility quote. It, like Odysseus saying he's nobody, means anybody can overcome these sorts of obstacles. And in fact, everybody has to in their own lives. Um, and so that like, so I guess I'm, I'm saying, I think we're all like Harry Potter insofar as he wears the invisibility cloak because thus anybody could be him. Insofar as they acted the same. So like it's, it's like an equalizer or like a democratic. Yes. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or like a, like it's such a universal process that it doesn't matter who you are like born or in a fantasy world or even a human world that uh, to, to go on the path of self-discovery and to bravely pursue it, even though you have to bend some rules and risk capture um, and, you know, get knocked on your butt and then get back up again, seems an important part of Harry's life. And what, what's just so interesting is the very first obstacle he runs into when he's given this increased power uh, shows him the thing that will make him least likely to keep using his power. Um, once he sits in front of that, that, that mirror forever. And remember it, the third time he goes, he's just planning to sit there all night. Nobody to bother him. And he, the other interesting thing is he's forgotten about Flamel. He doesn't care about finding him anymore, especially after that screaming book yelled at him, which made me think of how Peterson describes Solhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago, like a book screaming at you for 2000 pages. And so it makes me understand that that's exactly the sort of book that would be in a restricted section, right? The thing, the books where the awful things were done to people uh, that show like the evils of wizards and the evil spells they know. Um, but I'm, I'm a blah, 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 to get back to the point. Sorry. <laughs> um, sorry. I guess I probably made the point there. Uh, always going on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought about uh, the kind of hierarchy of these two devices. Uh, the mirror seems to, if I'm not missing something, it seems to show Harry, even while he's wearing the invisibility cloak, like, that's that's part of what surprises him, but obviously much more mm-hmm. surprising is when he sees that there's a bunch of other people behind him. So his first theory is that this is a mirror that can show things even if they're invisible. Ah, and so it's, oh my gosh, I'm surrounded by all these people. Yeah, and so so it's like the invisibility cloak, as mighty a thing as it is, is um is clearly uh, subordinate to other magical artifacts, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and 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 I think we see this later too with the Marauders map, right? Like even if you wear the the cloak, you're still on the map. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think so. so yeah, and like, I think Mad Eye Moody can see through the can see through. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Scabbers will be shown yeah. to be Pettigrew, uh, even if you're transfigured, even if you've uh, if you're an Animagus, your true form is released is revealed. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I guess we could put some current uh, gender questions to rest if we had the Marauders map. <laughs> What a useful, yeah, what a useful thing to be so objective. Oh my gosh, right? What a great short it's, story there would be to have it burned because it refused to use the right pronoun. Sorry, go on. No, it was just like, it strikes me that, that in some sense, the, the, the map, I'm sorry to bring that in, it's, it's like pure objectivity, whereas the mirror is pure, mm. pure subjectivity, right? Um, but both are more powerful than, than the invisibility cloak, both, both trumpet 
in some sense. And what seems to be even more powerful than that desire itself is the insight that's brought about through wisdom, like Sarah brought up, that Dumbledore shows, again, with his silvery beard, showing his capacity to reflect and asking a question of Harry, indicating or ensuring that Harry will have to reflect that the reason that he has been allowed to find this mirror and come to it the, all these times is so that he can understand the power of it or that he can understand the nature or essence of it, not so that he can be lost to it. And so it's almost as if Dumbledore has been observing that Harry has been attempting to acquaint himself with dark magic. I mean, he's met now Fluffy, this three-headed dog. He's now swooped above. Uh, I think this actually happens after. He swoops above the Forbidden Forest. That does happen after. He's now gone to the restricted section of the library. And so Dumbledore is, it's almost as if he's sort of showing him what the stakes are. It's like, well, here's an object that can kill you and has killed a lot of people through using their own desires against them. And so if you want to be able to break such a spell, the greatest magic you can use is wisdom or insight. Um, and see it for yourself. See it. See its effect on you for yourself in order to understand its universal its universal power. Yeah. Um, hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like this is a uh, is clearly clearly training for dealing with the sorcerer's stone, right? Which is the the title, you know, enchanted item, the the enchanted item beyond all enchanted items, um, which is something that. Uh, wisdom alone um, seems capable of, of producing, right? Like there's there's some kind of process whereby Dumbledore and his partner Flamel uh, actually made this item. So that's like the first chance we get to see even like a hint at something about like how you devise one of these magical objects. Um, so we get a little bit of a clue by, by getting to know Dumbledore, like what sort of what sort of person enables you, like what sort of personality is it that enables you to make one of these things? Um, well, yeah, and what's incredible is at least staggering genius and tremendous bravery and competence, right? Because he's, like you said, defeated a great dark wizard right at the end of World War II, essentially suggesting that he won World War II. <laughs> <laughs> and 12 uses of mag- magic uh, blood or dragon's blood indicate neither that he has worked with and or defeated dragons or become friends with them in some crazy way. Um, and, and also devised ingenious solutions as yeah, well. Sure. Um, and, and so tremendous risk has been a part of Dumbledore's life um, or, or in order to, to acquire this ability. And just something interesting is the way that one acquires the Philosopher's Stone or the Sorcerer's Stone is by not wanting it near the end. Yeah. And so it's almost as if mm-hmm. the idea is that and I don't know, it seems so different from the idea of philosophy that like hmm. that not wanting wisdom is precisely how, or not wanting the obvious things that one generally desires or not wanting rewards of wisdom is what is true wisdom or that just wanting wisdom itself is the greatest possible reward or something like that. I'm coming to it. Well, think of what, think of what this, I mean, first think of what this stone gives you. It gives you money and extra time. It doesn't necessarily give you wisdom though. It might have required wisdom to make it. So like, 
I, I mean, to that end, like the, on the card, what does it say about Mr. Or not on the card in the, in the book that, that she checked out for a bit of light reading. Um, she said, honestly, don't you two read? Um, uh, it says, I mean, like, what does he do with his extra days? He enjoys a quiet life in Devon with his wife, whose name means perennial. Um, and they listen to opera. Like they listen to something that is like, like uh, stereotypically vaulting and beautiful and dramatic. Like they, it's like the most dramatic of dramas. I mean, they, they, they just appreciate stories. It I mean, yeah. And, and like, I, I guess, um, to the I mean if we're talking about what this ultimately how this ultimately comes to a head then Dumbledore it seems like Dumbledore obviously he knows more than he lets on but when he says to Harry like don't go looking for it again if you ever do run across it you will now be prepared Mm -hmm. Um, it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live remember that Um, why don't you put on that admirable cloak and get back to bed like it's almost as though he knows um that at some point Harry will come into contact with the, the mirror again. And maybe, maybe he gave him the cloak to, to tempt him to go marauding through the castle so that he would find this mirror. I mean, I don't know if, if Dumbledore could govern it such that, but I think, I think we, I think we can assume that he got the cloak from like the, that the cloak was a gift. So I think, I think I have some evidence to help you with that because if Dumbledore knows more than we think he does or knows just as much as a God, the father would, then he would have seen Quirrell let the troll into Hogwarts. And he would have also seen Mm -hmm. uh, Quirrell or Snape attempt uh, Fluffy. And it just makes me wonder whether he is so clever that he understood that there must have been a traitor on the staff of Hogwarts. And so that's why he moved the Sorcerer's Stone to Hogwarts so that he could keep a closer eye on the stone mm-hmm. and could himself uh, let the traitor rat themselves out or, or reveal themselves. Um, and that he, like he'll later do in the sixth book in particular, is mm-hmm. setting Harry up or sort of like, a, like in, a hero, in a heroic way, but setting him up for success. So and also again, like a good teacher, right? He he uh, he mm-hmm. exposes him first to the mirror before he's going to be expect to use it, expected to use it right. And just because it was so interesting, again we see that Harry and focusing his intent and desire in a slightly different way affects a very different outcome in the world. With a Sorting Hat, he says not Slytherin, and so it's Gryffindor, and that sets his entire life. And then also when he's going to see this mirror again. I guess I shouldn't say too much now because we haven't gotten there. He's going to he's going to think, you know, thoughts like, "Don't give me the stone, right?" Or I don't want to see anything. Or uh, he's going to he's going to it's again an abnegation, or uh, like a, mm. a not wanting something for himself that will end up getting him something very special. Which which I mean, not to circle back to something we've already said, but I will like. In giving away his last chocolate frog, he gets the the last clue that he needs. Like, I it's hard to get away from the constant, um, like, uh, tips in the in the text that like, gift is reception. Like, 
um, I don't know if that's a classic thing or if it's a, I, I mean, my sense is it's not classic. It's actually quite Christian mm-hmm. that like that in giving you receive, I mean, like <laughs> that's a line from a freaking church song. Like um, that, uh, the, that seems to be like a lesson that gets, um, that gets taught in many, like through a lot of different ways. I don't know. Um, I, I think charity, I mean, and I think giving, you know, the idea of Christmas and it's huge in the Christian world. It's also humongous in the pagan world and in the current economic world. Uh, a conversation I've been mm-hmm. listening to by um, uh, John Anderson, a former PM of Australia who does these talks and has this beautiful piano intro where he looks very deep with this Oxford <laughs> professor. Uh, he suggested like Francis Fukuyama that the greatest commodity that a state can have in order to generate wealth is trust. And also when I think back to uh, the inciting event of all of Greek mythology, essentially, but also the Iliad, it is a breach of trust. When a guest comes who's supposed to bring a gift and also is by right given a gift, and he steals something out from someone. Yeah. Um, and he breaks that yeah. trust between, between people. It, it, I, I think you're totally right, though, that it seems that, I mean, Dumbledore seems to allow Harry to take Ron with him on that second day and perhaps he didn't stop him on that second day because, you know, that's building trust between them. Uh, that it, It's almost as if, if Dumbledore does see as much as he does, he, he lets some students do some awfully dangerous things, um, especially going after that troll. But, Wes, I want to ask you, and maybe you can tell me if you think this is too much sci-fi guy, uh, a crazy uh, conspiracy theory, but do you think there's any connection between the fact that we're introduced to wizard chess in these chapters and the game, the meta game that Dumbledore may be playing against Voldemort as Voldemort attempts to sneak through his castle, through his Eden, through his known territory. And he plays against him though, not explicitly through the choices of others, through guiding the choices of those under his protection. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems, this seems definitely to be in play here. Uh, and, and the way that the way that we see again different characters who uh, in some ways you know are so are so adept like Percy and Hermione are adept in certain things but in chess for whatever reason like maybe they're maybe they're trying to be too direct you know in a Voldemortian sense right they're, they're not doing enough to um, to sort of learn out, learn the game as it develops Slytherin and in their desire to have prestige i guess you might say i mean obviously mm-hmm. she's very she's very ravenclaw and that she's very smart but hermione wants to be successful and so does percy mm-hmm. yeah just agreeing with you sorry no yeah i mean that's and it's it's interesting that um we're told not in so many words we're, we're not exactly told that ron is like really good at chess but it's like it's sort of that that seed is planted so it's not so surprising later when he when he proves to be you know brilliant at, at wizard chess yeah, which ends up, which again, ends up being something of tremendous value that he offers to fight against ultimate evil, Voldemort, and also is a wealth that cannot be accounted for by money, and therefore is wealth not needed by the Philosopher's Stone. And just to kind of tail back to the Philosopher's Sorcerer's Stone for a second, something you said about Nicholas Flamel, which I thought was great, Sarah, is that 
uh, he loses the two boundaries that humans generally have that keep them from study, right? This is what Aristotle says that you require as a philosopher. You need leisure. And how do you, what is leisure? Mm -hmm. That's both the time and the means to study. And in fact, Aristotle in his notes, his fragments, makes a claim that he's the ideal philosopher because he's very wealthy and thus can buy as many books as he, he needs to. But, but also you lose the two inciting boundaries that would most make you want to study because you're most conscious of your own limitation as a human when you don't have enough money or time ever to do anything perfect. It makes it all the more meaningful to attempt to do anything, which I feel connects strongly to all the games and the competitions we see in these, these few chapters, right? We see snowball fight, we see Quidditch, we see chess. Um, we, uh, we even see little sub games like get around the authorities like Mrs. Norris and Filch and uh, avoid peeves and, uh, and, and find out about Snape and find out about Nicholas Flamel and get into the restricted section. It's almost as if, and this is a point that you've been making, Wes, I think more and more philosophically that, um, it is the restraints that we have on our life that give the meaning to our life, that give us the ability to actually play the game. And that philosopher's stone would take all those restraints away, and thus life, though would be would be eternal, it would be meaningless. On the other hand, I mean, can I? I, I was just going to say, um, uh, so the the mirror. I mean, since we're mentioning classical. Yes classical references the mirror always makes i mean not always but as i was reading it this time and i'm a little hesitant to say this because i know how well versed you guys are in the classics is it and i and i don't i know no it's not narcissist but um because i don't i i hope to god i haven't been teaching it wrong for the last seven years um like i am deeply afraid that what i am about to say is like totally wrong but um, I, <laughs> um, when, um, Harry and Ron and Dumbledore all look into the mirror and see what they want and like, don't have, it reminded me of like the ending scene of the Iliad where like, uh, Achilles and Priam like look into each other's ah. eyes and, and like weep and eat and stare for a really long yes. time. And then all of a sudden Achilles is no longer plagued with an inability to sleep or a lack of appetite. Um, it's like, uh, I, I don't know, my, my students and I, we've always done these seminar discussions about book 24, and they're always fascinated like by the question of what are they looking at in each other's eyes? Or like, what do they see in the other? Like, why doesn't Achilles kill him? And why, do, why is it possible for Priam to kiss his hands and eat a meal with the man who killed his son? And um, like, why does Achilles go out of his way to clean Hector's body? And um, how, why is Achilles all of a sudden able to sleep after this encounter when the, just prior at the beginning of the book, he, he can't sleep. He, you know, mm. latches the body to his chariot and runs it around the, the funeral pyre. And he's like racked with grief and rage and all this stuff. And, and, and I, the, the, the things that my students have come up with have always surprised me and like been really interesting. And it's my, one of my favorite scenes. I also, I think it's like a perfect bookend with the end of Hamlet where he's, he's in the graveyard um, after coming back from the, the trip at sea and he stares into the skull of his former court jester. And he says like, 
you know, what base, what base things we all go to. Like, do you think Alexander looked like this? Like, does, did, did Julius Caesar look, I mean, there's something about staring into something that you, you think you're not and then figuring out maybe what you are. Um, and those two scenes we always talk about in my classroom about self-awareness and mortality and uh, like the, like how a limit on your life is, is, is a good thing. And then it, it comes back up in Lord of the Rings where, you know, the elves are, are immortal, but they are not happy. Uh, and, and like, there's a, there's like a, in, in the legendarium of um, the Silmarillion, it talks about mortality is Tolkien's gift to men um, or is the gift rather of the creator of this world, Eru Iluvatar, that it's not a doom to die um that it's rather like a good a good thing and um it just it, it's a nice little thing in the in in my classroom for the last seven or eight years that's tied together these seemingly disparate texts but when they look in the mirror of Erised and then there's this like the next chapter there's this discovery of this what does the stone do oh it keeps you from dying um it, it it's hard for me not to think that there was those that theme is there um, and who wouldn't want that ron says which is interesting an interesting distinction between the tree of life and the tree of wisdom suggesting that you can have one or not or the other what's interesting about that iliad uh part that you mentioned um is that when achilles cries he sees his father in priam and also recalls his own fallen friend patroclus and mm -hmm. of course there's fallen hector right in front of him who was wearing the same armor that patroclus was wearing which was also achilleus's armor when he struck him down so there's a an equality between the three and that they've all worn the same armor at some points mm -hmm. and and so mm -hmm. achilleus seems to see not only that uh those he sees in priam those whom he loves and thus sees himself in Priam um, and sees a connection between them. The, he sees their shared humanity and it's seen and what he'll never be, man. right? What he but also what he's, what, he what, what he's caused. And um, so he'll never be an old man, but he also sees his, his father who he will, who he will die beforehand, just like Priam mm -hmm. sees his son, his great son, Hector die before him and so actually sees that he will bring suffering not only to this old man but to his own father as well and of course his name means suffering or pain Akko. but mm -hmm. but what seems to to comfort him and priam which is why they can let down their guard and cry together is because of the shared suffering the shared limitation suffering seems to be just as desire as a result of limitation so is suffering mm -hmm. a result of of limitation and so the mirror you see someone for who they are by what desires they have and how the means they take in order to achieve these desires. And you, you also see a person for whom they are um, based on what makes them suffer and how suffering affects them. Um, and these, Which, yeah. No, I was just going to say that's interesting. I'd never really thought about the mirror of Erised as a thing that also like indirectly reveals the source of your suffering because that's exactly what that's exactly what Dum how Dumbledore sort of describes it which is that you know the one the, the kid who's always been overlooked 
sees himself standing apart. So what's the source of his suffering being ignored Mm. or the fear that he's not living up to all of his siblings, greatness or perceived greatness. Mm -hmm. Right. So that, that causes like, that causes like his, his existential anguish, right. Where, well, so Harry sees the thing that he most desires. Anything that's incredible. Yeah. Right. So, so this thing and, and that the source of his suffering is the absence of the thing that he, I guess I'd never really just, I'd never, it makes sense, but I'd never really are like articulated it, that the mirror of Erised is also some like reveals the, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Harry, it reveals what what's he, also funny is it shows the relativity of ultimate desire because Harry gets the thing that Ron wants most in the next chapter when he wins his own when he wins his own recognition, he thinks to himself, and this is the narrator again, I was really following the narrator because of you this time around. Uh, she really is great. And it does make me think of Stranger Than Fiction and that accent as well. But Harry, mm-hmm. Harry thinks to himself, he had won his own recognition. He had done something that nobody else had ever done or probably had never done. And so he didn't have to worry about anybody so- saying that he was just famous for no reason anymore. And it's like, boom, there you go. That's exactly what Ron mm-hmm. wants more than anything. And you just have it. And that will actually be a, a source of friction in the relationship later on, right? Where, where Harry is mm-hmm. a little more blase about money and, and, and his fame. And Ron starts to become a little more uh, envious. Dragon goes with him, as it were. But Harry. Well, Harry knows well rather ron has what harry wants too right it goes the other way yes well. he's got the family yeah. right and wes i think i cut you off before you were you were going to say something about the mirror of erised and Priam and achilleus and that that hamlet uh quote looking at the jester as well um what was that well, I, no i was just i was just commenting that i thought it was a, a brilliant like synthesis of of the the different books um agreed to 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 pick up on the the idea that desire the desired thing um it it makes me think about how uh say like romantic poets or or something like that um or or tolkien because i think tolkien's doing something sort of similar there that 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 sadness of not having what's desired (laughs) is a very powerful motivator for the poetic or mythological um, creation, like thinking about the, the process mm-hmm. of, of, of writing the story, right? Like, so like what motivates Tolkien? Like he's in some sense trying to imitate these epics of the past, which we don't know much about their process of creation, but we do know a little bit about Tolkien's process. And I think it connects with a lot of things you're talking about, right? Like he has this, this community of writers and scholars around him um, prim- primarily C.S. Lewis, right? Um, he has a, uh, a a grounding in, in language that um, gives him this kind of this like quality of of his own created language with no one to to speak it, right? So then he has to create again a, a community. In some sense, mm-hmm. he, he yearns for he yearns for a uh, a mythology, and so he goes about trying to create that, right? Because it's it's not there. Um, for England, and so that that sense that you desire the thing that's not there, it it's the impetus for for creation, in much the way that a kind of um, a sin or something like you know the theft of of um, Helen or whatever 
is the is this the, the inciting point for the, the plot that's of the right. story that's right. and that seems to be the idea you recently wrote a post about maps of meaning uh, a very good review i thought and i'm going to continue reading it soon but where the idea is that what adam and eve achieve after eating the apple is self-consciousness which is awareness of their vulnerability or their nudity their lack their incompleteness now they have to search for something and so that makes me think about the genie of the lamp, the genius, or, or the philosopher's stone, that precisely what those are, is, or the best use of the genie of the lamp or the philosopher's stone is not to have one and to thus have the benefits conferred on one by, by those objects, but to use those as ideals, like oh, yeah. a golden age, not to believe like a tyrant or like someone in a totalitarian system that you are in the perfect system and thus any imperfection must be from you, but that that ideal place, that, that celestial paradise, that, uh, you know, cosmic power, um, or, 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 or that philosopher's stone that, that those green fields in the future are in the future and thus draw you into the future through the effort necessary to produce them, that those images are supposed to draw you mm. into life. And I think that's what Dumbledore is saying, right? It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Your dream has to guide you or lead you, but not, not you, it can't just be like on the TV screen. You can't just watch it. And I feel like that's also why we see Neville and Ron get in the game. You can't, it's not a passive mm -hmm. endeavor life. You have to get involved. If, if you're going to get what you want or do anything, you need to per, pursue the dream, not just dream as it were. And maybe that's what the real alchemy is, that dreams can draw us into existence and reality and that we can thus manifest or embody our dreams. Um, and that that's really yeah. all you have to do. From, uh... that's, that's interesting because like al alchemy, at least I think we've said this before, is this, is this great falsifying sin in the inferno because it like allows people to skip all of the steps and say put on these wings and fly or here have this pot of metal that will pretend is gold. Like that it, it, it would be a lie if, if it denied the labor and the risk. And I would maybe even to bring it back to, to, to Gryffindor, it would be a lie to say that, um, that it would um, make unnecessary the courage. Yes. Um, required right like so so the the virtues of their house for example um, make pursuit right yeah yeah you exactly have you That's have to have a chance of being killed if you're going to be brave you have to have a chance of being nearly headless nick like you're saying mm -hmm. the specific virtues of humans come precisely from the fact that they're limited that's making me think that's why charity seems to be such a a wonderful thing to give to somebody because you're already limited and don't have all the things you need and you're spending time giving some to someone else just because they need it too. It's an incredible yeah. idea. Um, it's like, why would you do that? Um, <laughs> but um, Because apparently <laughs> the things we give forge something more important than the things themselves. Um, and that a thing given to somebody in a time of need or in a way that helps them forges something that is more powerful than even the use of the thing could give to you. That it's like 
developing yeah. trust, you now have another active conscious agent in the world that will help you. There's nothing better than that. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing better than a friend <laughs> because that's another human. There's nothing more sophisticated in all the world for helping you out or for being entertaining around you because you can compete with them on several different domains like snowball fights or wizarding chess or chess, excuse me. Um, I thought that was also an interesting sort of moment um, that in wizarding chess, your men can yell at you. You have accountability to them. You can't just play, play the game and they don't trust Harry because he doesn't know how to play well. And it made me think a lot about the, the mids in uh, Saint, Saint, uh, near St. John's at the Naval Academy and how our, our old friend Charles, who had been a Marine, said, sort of spoke about them with derision. And why? Well, because they would be sort of the leaders of wizard chess without much experience themselves yet. And so mm. men wouldn't trust them very much without that active experience. And so I thought that was very interesting seeing this archetypal leader, Albus Dumbledore, who we see has this incredible track record. And why is it that he is this incredible teacher? Well, it seems that it's because he's played this game before. He didn't get outside the game because of the alchemical stone, right? It hasn't spared him any of the difficulties of life. And in fact, perhaps he has access to the alchemical stone because he represents the person who has maximally lived and pursued the most difficult and the most dangerous possible tasks and has thus been sort of utilized by these endeavors. And certainly on the cards and at, <laughs> in the Hogwarts uh, 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 headmasters chambers as well. Yeah, Wes, sorry. He, so, well, he's close. He's close to the happiest man, right? All he wants is some socks. I know. He's right, <laughs> he's right, on, the, he's right on the threshold. He's right there. He just needs to get in with um, with Mrs. Weasley, and she'll she'll knit him some. You know, but okay. well, time out. Do you actually yeah. do you actually think that that's all he but, saw? Yeah, like, and uh, Harry said so. Well, I I I have incredulous. In, I'm incredulous for another reason. Because <laughs> Harry said that he thought he might be dishonest, so maybe he didn't even see the woolen socks. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, I always thought, I guess maybe having, having read through the series, I guess I saw, I sort of read into that, that there was more to what he did hmm. see, because I think we, we end up seeing him far more flawed, I yes. think, in the, like, in the long run. But maybe, maybe he's the happiest man. Um, <laughs> well, something else I, I've been thinking about it just a little bit. Like, so the feet are the things that touch the ground. If he's a figure sort of of God the Father, then what he would most be interested in doing is guiding people's feet. Or, or mm. since he's not doing the dirty work himself until he does, and actually we find out that he often does, um, that he, he has, he as the head has to guide the feet of others he's sort of like the archetype or the 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 god figure or the light and harry or the the feet would be following that light i also wondered whether it just meant um uh uh, uh that you have to go bottom top in education bottom mm. up. well so that that makes me you know, we, we, we talked earlier about, like, how much more does he know than he's letting on? Like, how much of this game does he yeah. see? And it makes me think, like, in teaching, when you... I don't know if you guys have heard this phrase, but it's, like, pretty common in, like, the understanding by design world that, like, you backwards plan your way into an asset, right? So, like, 
it has he is he is he really like the ultimate teacher here who has come I don't know if he he could have fully backwards planned himself but it really I mean like wizard's chess or real people chess um in order to be good you have to be thinking 8 10 12 steps ahead not like of your opponent right so um I think it's interesting that like you're in the wizard's chest, the pieces can yell at the leader, but if the pieces can't see that far ahead yet, then they can't, they can't yell at the person. I don't, I don't know. I yeah. Think and part of being the that, master, that's a really apt question. Is that yeah. He, he sees giant patterns and, and small details that other people don't notice. Right. Like that's one of the most impressive things about when you're in a, a master's classroom, right. They notice little things that mm-hmm. you would have never noticed, like like that crocus and myrrh are are the vegetables that grow underneath um, Zeus and Hera in the Iliad in Book 15 when they're making love, and also they grow in Eden after Adam and Eve are mm-hmm. with each other. But also, you know that they can make giant connections as well because they've been through because Dumbledore has been through all these different games before he can see how games generally will go so that he can tell the difference between what is or he can tell what is both the same in this course like the course of an epic going down into an underworld something's the same but also Mm -hmm. what's different and Mm -hmm. unique in the person and so you notice the tiniest details the microcosm but also the macrocosm and so it's like he he knows to make sure when to give harry the invisibility cloak and how little to tell him while also recognizing that there is a battle between good and evil going on in his, in his castle that is different from how it has ever manifested before and is yet the only fight that ever matters and is always happening. Um, And so it's like he has ultimate perspective in that way. He can focus in, in the most detailed way, as well as gain depth of perspective or, uh, in, in a different yeah Wes I just um, I do have to run to get to my soccer game here so I gotta sign off <laughs> I, uh, it's been a, it's been a lovely conversation so if, guys. You, if you were to look at the mirror of Vera said right now oh, you would see oh. you going out the door I, yep I've got I'm getting to my soccer game on time that's it all right very okay. good Thanks, guys. well yeah good luck good luck in your game Wes right. um, I'm sure you'll be great all right thanks run fast i guess until next time and uh well how about do y'all want to read i think did wes... we'll, we'll figure it out i think what i think west may have just he did left. well we'll figure it out next time uh okay we can we can we can fig- i mean honestly there's like it's about 60 pages to the end of the book so we can either do like two short readings or one long let's one do two short ones. Uh, let's do and i can catch up with my okay. lectures Let's do fourteen okay. and fifteen, and uh, um, and um, yeah. Well then, what would what would you see in the mirror? Out of curiosity, I know Wes is totally going to come back and listen to all of this, but I, I, think I, um, I think I see. I think I think I see an entire lecture series, uh, and an entire series of us going through all seven of these books, and that being finished, yeah. and there being a community of people that are are very pleased to have a community or have that as a part of their community. What about you? So, so I just, um, I found this today as I was paging through the rest of this book. Um, 
I I think I told you and Wes maybe off off this conversation, but like I've taught these books before in an independent study mm-hmm. and like specifically alongside like um, theological or philosophical, what I called at Gonzaga like nuggets mm-hmm. of great books because we didn't like actually read the whole thing, but I would give them like the allegory of the cave or you know the the virtue of the prince or something like that um just little tiny chunks for them to to bite off and start to ruminate um on before going to college so that they don't you know find themselves in philosophy 101 without a clue as to what was going on like i did um and um concert with lord of the rings for one semester and a different group of kids did it with harry potter for another semester and i just i found this note that two of them wrote to me that said it said thank you for taking the time blah 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 to dive deep into the world of harry potter it's been a wonderful semester blah 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 um i don't think we'll ever be able to read the series the same way again as a token of our appreciation we got you something that will make reading harry potter easier in the dark um, 11 and a half inches, quite whippy with unicorn, with unicorn hair. So they bought me a wand. Um, wow. yeah. And, and this is, I, I know exactly from Quinn Hines and Vince Kiernan, who I'm sure aren't listening, but <laughs> if they are <laughs> also, also Vince, my, um, my classic lit class. So they've heard Hamlet stuff before and, um, Vince actually, Vince was the one who turned me on to this, this theater company in, um, in London that did, um, a full day long recitation of the Iliad from the British library to the theater company. It took 16 hours, 66 British actors, and they read aloud the story. And it, you know, it's my favorite poem ever, mostly because I love to have seminars, discussions with the kids that I mentioned earlier, but um, if I had to look in the mirror, I think I would see a lot of what Harry sees, except my family's not dead. Um, I think I just, I, you know, no. thank God. You might, um, might see I us in I, London seeing that Iliad production and then doing some Harry Potter podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would, I think I would just see like a gr- ever growing family of people like who I'm related to and who I'm not related to, but who, um, you know, who are like, who are family. Um, I think being away, you know, being away from your family is taxing extraordinarily. And, um, I'm looking forward to that not being the case anymore. So, yeah. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. As as we mature, our desires change and thus our relations to those in the world and thus the world. Exactly. Anyway, I wanted to share this note because I found it today on the bus back. All right. New York let's close with like that. Almost, almost in tears. Um, okay. Um, I will talk to you guys um, maybe sometime this week, maybe like Wednesday. Would be I, great. We can start. I have that to, calendar. Okay. We can, uh, we can touch base about times later. Cool. cool. Take it easy. Yeah. Alex. Yeah. Goodbye. Good night Fiosa. world. <laughs> Goodbye world. <laughs> <laughs> Good night world. <laughs> Good night. Bye. See ya.